in Pentecost, we remember that those flames of fire stood like tongues over the people in the room's head. And four out of five dentists agree that prior to the people running out, it looked a little bit like this in that upper room. Are we ready, Hector? I'm going to take that as a yes. safety talk and nobody paid any attention it's my own fault for using powerpoint powerpoint is boring people learn in lots of different ways but experience is the best teacher today smoking is going to save lives smell anything smoky? Did you bring your jerky in again? <clears throat> oh my god! Uh, oh my god! Fire! Oh, fire! Oh my goodness! What's the procedure? What do we do, people? Oh, how did that happen? It's out in the hall. No, we don't know that. The smoke could be coming through an air duct. Oh my god! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? Stay Touch the handle. If it's hot, there could be a fire in the hallway. What does warm mean? Oh my gosh. Not a viable option. What next? Don't try. Over the other door. Oh, here's a door. Check that one out. How's the handle? It's warm. Okay, go to the back well, door. Well, uh, another option. Another option. Jeez. Okay, settle down, everyone. No, I'm Leave it, woman. Get out of the way. Go, go, go. No, things can be replaced, Phyllis. People, human lives, however, can. <laughs> Hand. That's hot. Yeah, this one's hot too. Okay, oh. we're trapped. Everyone for himself. Okay, let's go. Okay, okay. Have you ever seen a burn victim? Okay, procedure, procedure. Excellent option. Where do we go, folks? What, use a what to cover the mouth? A what? A rag. A damp rag, perhaps. Let's remember those procedures. What are the yeah. options? Okay. Oh my God. That's oh my the wrong God. way. We've already tried that. Remember your exit points. Exit points, Oscar. people. What's next? Oscar. Huh? Stay alive. I'm getting help. Pull me up. You're too heavy. I only weigh 82 pounds. Hey, bandit. How about 911? Anyone? 911. This surge of fear and adrenaline to sharpen your decision making. Okay, I am not dying here. Come on. <laughs> what is that? What is that? The fire shooting at us! What are the name of the fire shooting at us? Oh, my God. 
Commander Mifflin. This has been a test of our emergency preparedness. There is no fire. It was only a simulation. What? Fire. Not real. This was merely a training exercise. So, what have we learned? Oh, come on. It's not real, oh Stanley. Don't Stanley. have a heart attack. Oh, no, 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 no. You will not die. Stanley! Stanley, you <laughs> And I think uh, you get the Stanley. gist of what it probably looked like. I'm not too sure if that is historically accurate, but again, that was the dentist. They, uh, you know, maybe they'll get that fifth one when we get a little bit more, but... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I do love that show. <laughs> I didn't actually plan a transition after that, so I'm just going to dive right into it. On the other side of the resurrection, God's plan for our redemption continues, and His resur uh, resurrection power is moving. And today we're looking at that Pentecost in the book of Acts, the story of how God's grace began to flood out to the world as the good news of salvation in Jesus would later spread to the very end of the earth. And we're concluding our sermon series on momentum. So let's just dive straight into the text today. You can break out those Bibles if you have them with you. Otherwise, you can follow along with me on the screens as they appear. But we're going to grab hold of this Holy Spirit momentum that proclaims God's saving power for all people and invites us to participate in a story that is bigger than we are. Now, in Luke's gospel, Jesus' work and his ministry follows after his baptism, where the Holy Spirit descends upon him looking like the dove, right? And here in Acts, the church's ministry begins when the Holy Spirit descends upon the 120 men and women that were gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem. And what Stefan read for us earlier, that promise of the Father, the promise of the gift that Jesus told his followers to wait for, is what is received here and given at Pentecost. And with it comes the mission that continues to this very day of bearing witness to Jesus, of making disciples, of being light for all people. It's right here in our text, and it doesn't stop, friends, not until our Lord returns. So I'm picking up at Acts chapter 2, and let's look at the first four verses together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest. On each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, the Jewish feast of Pentecost, or the Festival of Weeks, as it was called, takes place 50 days after Passover and was one of the three great pilgrimage feasts of Israel. It was originally a, a harvest celebration. But later, it also became a commemoration of God's giving of the covenant and the law on Mount Sinai. Now, for Christians... The coming of the Holy Spirit fulfills this meaning of Pentecost. It's the celebration of the gift of the law now embraces the giving of that law that is new in the Spirit. We see Paul pick that up in Romans chapter 8. Uh, there's this piece in Jeremiah where the prophet talks about the, the law being written now on people's hearts, and Paul picks that up again in 2 Corinthians 3 as well. So everywhere we see this fulfillment coming of a new way, a new law, a new spirit that is resting upon the people. Now the Spirit comes when they're all together in that one place. It probably didn't look like the fire drill right there, but remind me to talk about how they're being all in one place. Will you do that, sir, later on in the sermon? Yes, you, sir. Nope, don't look behind you. Yes. Okay, we'll go with Barry. Yes, sir. You remind me later. Now the Spirit's coming is manifested with a couple of signs. There's the noise like the blowing violent wind, and then there's the tongues of fire resting on each other, right? Throughout Scripture, Wind is often a sign of the Holy Spirit. 
If you'll remember back in the beginning of uh, Genesis, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters at creation. And that fire should take you back to when John the Baptist said, there's going to come someone after me who's not going to baptize with water, but he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. This idea of loud noise, wind, and fire, which a little bit more here for the tuition dollar, was actually the original name of earth, wind, and fire, but they found out that that flowed a little bit better than loud noise, wind, and fire. Anyway, when all three of those are combined, they evoke memories of Mount Sinai, of Moses, of Elijah, ultimately that God is present here. Wind, fire, noise. Surprisingly, the sign that is emphasized the most is the noise, is the speaking in tongues. But it's not that speaking in tongues that Paul will later talk about in the love chapter, about how when you have someone speaking in tongues, you need to interpret. Everyone heard in their own language what they were saying. Because here, in the speaking of tongues, it was impossible to miss the message. It says in, chat, in verse 5 here, They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some made fun and said they just had too much wine. Friends, the countries mentioned here cover most of the world that was known to first century Palestine at the time. It shows that this mission of the church is to embrace the entire world. This coming of the Holy Spirit is going to be for all people. This Holy Spirit momentum will transcend all barriers of race, of class, and nations. And I don't know if you caught it in there, but when they were listing the names of everyone who, or the places where everyone was from, did you see that Israel's enemies were listed there as well? That region of Mesopotamia where Babylon came from, Egypt, all of that is to fulfill the promise that even Israel's oppressors will one day turn and acknowledge that the God of Israel has come and is the one true God. Many Jews from many different nations. Many Jews who had now begun speaking their own different languages, each one of them there, heard the message. Friends, that reverses what happened in the Old Testament at the Tower of Babel. See, at the Tower of Babel, the people had in their arrogance tried to build a tower to the heavens to, to make a name for themselves. They were seeking power. They were seeking wealth. They were seeking uh, some form of security without needing God at all. Even today, we find ourselves repeating those same mistakes, do we not? Still find ourselves doing whatever we can to try to make a name for ourselves, to prove our worth, to, to earn love. Chasing whatever the illusion is, putting ourselves first. Far too often, friends, just like it did then, it only leads to separation or division. See, in consequence of what the people had done at the Tower of Babel, God confounded the universal human language into many language. 
And people were scattered. The nations rose up with their own way of speaking. And here at Pentecost, right here, the Spirit-given ability of the disciples to speak in different languages signifies that God is beginning to overcome all of the human divisions, not because of anything that people had done, but He is taking action to unify. How? What could possibly unite people that speak different languages, people that come from different socioeconomic classes? What could possibly unite across so many divisions that exist in our world today and back then? Friends, you know the answer. The answer is Jesus. We see it time and time again in everything we have studied through the book of Acts, from, from eunuchs to Gentiles to sinners of every race's class and nation. And you can see it even today as you look around and see those sitting next to you. This is the point that we as a church have been hammering through this sermon series for like eight weeks now. Jesus Christ is the unifying force in this world. There is no thing and no one else that can, can, can transcend our differences and unite us, can bring us together than Jesus Christ. There is no thing and no one else who can restore, can reconcile, can give peace and hope than Jesus Christ. It was pretty amazing that 120 people could all speak different languages and everyone there heard in their own. But do not miss what those people were saying. Friends, what good is a sign if you miss the meaning behind it? Jesus is Lord and has come for you and for all people. Only in Jesus Christ are your sins forgiven, and only in Jesus Christ can you be saved. That is the message. It's why Peter stands up out of the eleven, raises his voice, and addresses the crowd and says, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Which led me to take a little break here because I, I never really know what to make of that saying by Peter and by the people. That they've had too much wine and, and that's how they can somehow become smarter and more fluent uh, after a lot of wine. But what do I know? It wasn't until a friend of mine sat me down and showed me the irony in the people's statement here. It's ironic because in the Old Testament, new wine or sweet wine symbolized joy, symbolized abundant blessings that God would give people in the Messianic age. Jesus picks this up when he taught in his parables about the new wine that was coming. Then there was the wedding at Cana, of course, and the abundance, the very best wine, the blessings that come wherever Jesus is. And then he led me to this place where the Apostle Paul talks about not being filled with wine, but with the Holy Spirit. See, at Pentecost, the new wine is the Holy Spirit. It is the gift of God's love poured out onto human hearts. Pentecost is a big deal because the Holy Spirit transforms you. And we see that here in our text when followers who were afraid and locking their doors will now boldly stand up and begin confessing that Jesus is Lord. Without the Spirit, they didn't understand Jesus' death. They didn't understand Jesus' resurrection. But now, filled by the Holy Spirit, they will be empowered to endure and confess Jesus as Lord above everything else. 
So we gather here today and we may not see flames of fire on each other's heads. We may not hear violent winds being blown, but friend, let us listen to Peter's speech once more. Because Peter knew firsthand what it means to be reconciled to God and to receive what only he can give. Let us listen and be confident that this spirit that was poured out upon them is the same spirit that is being poured out upon us. Poured out like when I'm giving my kid a bath. Remember giving babies baths? You pour the water over their head with the cup. They don't know to to close their mouth so they can't breathe. It's like they're covered in it, but it's amazing. That is how we are. We need to breathe in that Holy Spirit. Because we cannot be without it. And we should never, ever seek to be apart from God's Spirit. We have to cry out, call out for the Lord. Because too many times we seek to fill ourselves with whatever it is we think we need. Too many times, instead of calling on Him, we think we can help our own selves or find something to get us through too easily dismiss the way that God works, thinking that we know better. If you're like me and you find yourself doing that, you find yourself also exhausted with work, with stress, with worry, and with fear. But in His giving and His pouring out of the Spirit on account of Jesus, the Lord breaks that stronghold over you. The Lord comes to you in the midst of all the noise and everything going on. Speaks to you. It's almost as if he says, quiet your mind, child, and hear this. The Lord says to you, stop listening to the nagging voice in that back of your mind and instead listen to me. The Lord says to you, you are loved and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I will take these things that seem like floods and fires and blowing storms and I will replace them with my spirit. There are many voices that speak many different things, but the Lord says, hear my voice. Know that you are mine. Your heart is tired but I will renew your heart and I will give you my son, my name, my spirit. That is who we call on. We call on the name of Jesus Christ and are saved, are reconciled, are refreshed and receive the community that rests only in him. Peter says, what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Last days, the the time that we are living in now, what's happening, all of that is still to come, right? We're living in it now, but Christ is coming back. But if you spend your time looking for the moons turning to blood or trying to read the signs, 
Don't miss the meaning. Don't miss the meaning right there in the last verse. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That's Pentecost. Now, what were you supposed to remind me about, Barry? Verse 1. Yeah, everybody. There it is. Verse 1. They were all together in one place, just like we are now. Now you go back to that chapter, a couple verses right before it. You know what they were all doing together in that one place? They were praying. 120 men and women united together and praying. That little section there in Acts chapter 1 is one of the coolest pieces of Scripture. To me, I call that a back porch piece of Scripture. It's back porch because you don't see it in the front. It's just something you've got to come in and then you spend some time, you see it, and it's relaxing, it's wonderful. There was 120 people that were filled with the Holy Spirit that day. 11 disciples get the Instagram stained glass pictures, but 120 of them received the Spirit. And 3,000 will receive the Spirit by the end of the day. Now, friends, you go back, and I want you to think about this. The names of the people that were there. I don't know if you've ever read Numbers, but there's lots of chapters of names there. I don't know if you've ever read Nehemiah, but there's a bunch of lists of names there. I don't know if you've ever read the end of the epistles, but there's usually a lot of names there. You want to know why? It's because each and every one of those names was known by the Lord and had received the Spirit and was out there bearing witness and loving one another. The names are written because they didn't miss the meaning. Friends, our Lord has been resurrected and has ascended and lives and reigns with one God and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Confirm that to us in our baptism. We receive that in the body and blood. And He is not finished adding names to the book of life. He's making all things new. And there are many more who, like us, need their names added to that book. So why do we grab hold to a Holy Spirit momentum? Because we can't help but do it. We must share Christ and love others. So you sit here together with me as one church, and I ask you, how do you want to do it? How do you want to continue making disciples? How do you want to share the love that you have received? How do you want to bear witness to the name of Jesus Christ? Will you start with your own family? Will you speak words of hope and encouragement to them? In times when you are afraid and you are unsure of you make it, will you rally them together and say, let us go to our Lord in prayer and be confident that our God is with us? When you see the hurting and the vulnerable, will you come alongside them, sharing with them the hope that you have, giving whatever it is that you can give? Now is the time. The end is near. Our Lord Jesus saves and calls you to bear witness to that message of hope. Now as the band makes their way up here, I thought they'd be up here by now, but they're not. 
we're going to start singing again. Because when Paul said, don't be filled with the old wine, be filled with the new wine, the Holy Spirit, it talked about being filled with thankfulness. It talked about being filled with hearts of joy. It talked about singing praises to God. And it talked about going out with your hands and creating habits of love to other people. That is why we have gathered here. There is no other reason to give praise to Jesus and then to take what we have received and bring it out. Worship does not start and stop on Sunday, but worship carries into every single moment of our lives, especially to those who do not know, who have yet to come to call upon the name of our Lord. So let us as one people call upon the name of the Lord. Let us as one people go out and serve. Let us as one people love without ceasing. Amen?